0: You'll go ahead and take your copy of Scripture, um, Genesis. Genesis chapter twenty-one is where we're going to be, and uh, we're we're looking um, at, at something pretty amazing in the life of Abraham. But as you're turning, let me ask you kind of a simple question, and and, and maybe um, our younger generation is going to struggle with this one a little bit a little bit more. Um, how long are you willing to wait for something you really, really want? How long are you willing to wait for something that that you, you truly want and you're staking your your life on? A year. A year. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm not sure where that uh, voice of honesty uh, from where it came, but uh, thank you, I found it. Uh, A year, okay, so some would wait a year. Uh, You know, uh, a lot of people in my generation um, might wait 10 minutes, right? If you can't get it from a drive-through or a microwave or Amazon, you're pretty much uh, gonna uh, pitch a fit. So, so, so saving is an issue, or uh, or 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 doing a little bit now and then and and kind of building and growing. Uh, Older generations, they they kind of get that, right? You you work for where you are. You're you're building towards a future, something greater, and you know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw all my age people under the bus here we want what our parents had now. We, we, we don't want to take a step back into a lesser um, quality of life. We want what mom and dad provided for us now. We want to graduate from college or from high school and step into exactly what mom and dad have had. And and so uh, the last few years that we lived in South Carolina, we were about 20 minutes from Clemson University. And, and it was, it was kind of cool to be around there and see the community develop and the community grow. But I would listen to sports talk radio uh, there, and, and they would have advertisement and commercials for, for some of the off-campus housing options for students. Now, now, when I started as a freshman at Mercer University, I, I lived in... Um, Quite honestly, a dump. It was called Plunkett Hall. Uh, no, no, nothing with nothing nothing with John Plunkett, but it was Plunkett Hall. Uh, we used to call Chunk it on Plunkett because it was just it was it was terrible. So so we had a room that was about half the size of Russ's keyboard um, that two of us had to live in, and we shared a bathroom that I don't think. Campus, and I ended up working for two years for campus housing. Um, I don't think they did anything to fix or repair or clean those bathrooms in the summers between. I mean, it was, it was bad. It was terrible. I can remember graduate, my, my, one of my graduation presents from high school was a 19-inch TV. It was like that big. They make laptops with bigger screens than this. But that was one of my my graduation presents because I was going to be going off to college and I might need a TV in my college. And wouldn't you know it, that Plunkett Hall, my freshman year, for the first time, had free cable. My freshman year, man, it was great. Like, we were living the high life as a freshman in college. Man, it was great. You know what I found out a couple years ago? The off-campus options that they were building around, uh, around Clemson was, if you just live here, we're going to put a 50-inch flat screen on the TV for you. It's going to be part of the package. And you're going to have all of these high-quality campus off-campus apartments with granite countertops. We were lucky to have a place to put our shoes as freshmen. And then my dad starts talking about where he lived at Clemson when he was a freshman. They they still call them the shoeboxes. Yeah, they're tearing that building down, I believe. Because the younger generation, we want what mom and dad have now, right? And our kids are growing up in a world that most of you, many of you could not imagine raising your kids in christian and i've had this conversation a couple of times her grandmother turned 104 uh, earlier this month she and addison shared the same birthday 99 years separated and i'm just sitting there thinking when her dad goes and and and, and makes a weekend visit he'll say hey do you got a moment that you can facetime with Mamo?" and so he'll pull his ipad out or whatever his phone and 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 she'll facetime and i'm sitting there thinking this lady grew up in a house that didn't even have the pick up and say, connect me to phone. And now she's got a, vi- just think about just the way the world has changed. Are any of us, regardless of age, willing to step back from all of the luxury and rebuild it and grow? I believe we've all gotten accustomed to the drive through microwave, cable TV, Amazon age of What we want, we want now. And that brings us to the life of Abraham. That brings us to where we've been walking these last several weeks, looking at this man, this patriarch of our faith, the one that God would use to deliver his promise, and we see something amazing take place and take shape in Genesis chapter 21, if I can get my Bible open. It says this, starting in verse one. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, At the appointed time, God had told him, Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Let's pray together. Father, right now we are waiting There are a lot of things that, that we're waiting for. We've got individual waits that are taking place, waiting for uh, that, that, that job, waiting for that phone call, waiting for that, that man or that woman to enter into our life, waiting on that, that next step. A lot of us are waiting on something, something that, is, that, is, that is bigger and more overarching for what you have promised us and what you have shown us and, and how you're gonna use us. We're waiting for you to reveal that. And Lord, we're ultimately all waiting for the day when we get to see you face to face. And Father, I confess, sometimes it's hard to be patient in the wait. Oftentimes, it's kind of miserable wait but Lord you make promises that cannot and will not be broken you have shown us something beautiful about who you are as a God that fulfills his promises. So Father, I ask that we would not ask you to adjust, but that we would adjust ourselves to you by the grace you have given us in Christ Jesus. Or teach us your word. Give us hope. Give us peace. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we get in this passage of scripture and... And we see it happen. We've been talking about this. We've been building towards this for several weeks now that God has promised this man a family. And so we've got four four movements, uh, four developments within this passage. We're going to cover the entire chapter this morning. We've got four developments and and three connection points that we're going to make uh, to our heart, to our lives this morning. And so we see in our passage of scripture very clearly that God delivers his promise of a son to Abraham and to Sarah. God delivers his promise. All right, be honest with me. When you order something on Amazon or somewhere else, Walmart, do you watch the tracking information? Yeah. You, you, you know that they're shipping you something. And so we've got, you know, either on our, on our phones or on our computers, we've got that nice little button we can click that says, track package. And when you click the track package button, what you're able to do is you're able to kind of see when the estimated date of delivery would be. And you're able to kind of watch and know that this is about to take place. And then sometimes you can click the other button on there that says see all updates. And you can see everywhere your package has been. You know that it had an origination scan in San Diego, California. And it went from there to Tucson, Arizona. And from Tucson, Arizona, it left a UPS uh, 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 sort facility in Dallas, Texas and from Dallas it went to to Smyrna and from Smyrna it went to Peachtree City and from Peachtree City it went to the local post office and from the local post office it might have gotten to you. You you can see all that and you can wait. Now now imagine if you don't have the opportunity, the ability to track your package, you just gotta say, well, I ordered it, I hope it gets here. Some of you probably still live in that world, right? Think about Abraham and Isaac, Abraham and Sarah. They've been waiting on this delivery for years, literally years. It wasn't just like the, oh, I'm having a baby. I mean, that's one of the cool things, all the technology that's involved with childbirth and everything. I and mean, you get to go, you find out that, that, that the, the woman finds out she's pregnant, and husband and wife jump, well, yeah, we're going to have a baby. Or they go, oh, what are we going to do? That baby. Oh my goodness. All the panic systems. You go to the doctor and they put you on the vitamins and all these things. And you got to have uh, this done by, by by 20 weeks and this done by 28 weeks. And in the 31st week, you got to have this. And, and you get to go, they show you these little pictures and it looks like a little blob of lasagna, but it's there and you know, it's yours. And sometimes you can see the outline of it and you're like, oh, this is great. And you can sit there and you can watch the, watch the stomach move and everything. Is that Good grief, that baby's tight in there and just kind of kicking, like, let me out of here and all this, and then the labor takes place and you're expecting it. Man, that's great because, man, you were planning on this. But for 40 years, waiting on this one child, and all the ups and downs of what's going to take place and all the ups and downs and, and bringing Hagar into the picture and having a son by her who's now in his mid-twenties and finding out that these, these visitors come by and they say, you know what, this time next year, you're going to have a baby. I'm going to come back. And it says in the passage of scripture, the Lord came to Sarah just as he had said exactly as he had said. Verse two, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the time appointed by God. Man, I am so glad that God is not late on his delivery. I'm so glad that unlike the postal service or UPS, when track package is clicked, it says it's going to be here by Wednesday the 21st, but it ends up being uh, Thursday the 19th of the next month before it actually gets there. That's not God. God delivered the baby right at the appointed time he said would take place. But notice where it went. To Abraham and to Sarah. God's covenant was not just Abraham, Sarah, not Sarah anymore. Sarah is grafted in and covered by the covenant that God has made with His people. No doubt about it, this was the promised child. No doubt about it, this was the evidence of the work of God in their life. God delivered the promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah. But wouldn't you know it, trouble starts ensuing, right? I know in your household, all of your children perfectly behave with one another and never aggravate each other for any reason at any time, ever, ever, doesn't happen in your house. I know, happens in mine each week, each day. One of my children may or may not have had to been disciplined on before we left for church this morning. The oldest one. Put your minds at ease. Look what happens. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking the one Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, drive out this slave with her son for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son, Isaac. Woo-hoo. What this Sarah's plan to begin with? Hey, take Hagar, my handmaid, and go into her and have a son, a child with her and perhaps it will be that I can be a mama because of her. Remember, there was an issue there. Hagar did become pregnant. She kind of taunted Sarah with it just a little bit. Sarah was filthy. It was her idea. And now this son, Ishmael, is mocking. It says that when Isaac was weaned, So let's just say he's probably between 18 and 24 months old. This wasn't like the day after he was born. This is a little bit later. And it's not just, you know, playing with a toddler. You know, it's teasing a little bit. And, you know, I got your nose or whatever. Not not doing all that. Not playing peekaboo. The word mock that's used here is a, is, denotes a behavior that is not expected under the circumstance. In other words, what is being conveyed by Ishmael is that you are not really equal with me. I am the firstborn. It's pulling away the promise. And Sarah says, no. No. So Hagar and Ishmael are sent away by Abraham. So Abraham says, don't be concerned about the boy and and the slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her. Excuse me. God says to Abraham, do not be concerned about about the boy and your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. But I will also make a nation of the slave son because he is of your offspring. So early in the morning, Abraham got up, took bread and the water skin and put them on Hagar's shoulders and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water of the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes and she went and sat down nearby a bowshot away and said, I cannot bear to watch the boy die. So as she sat nearby, she wept loudly. See, this is developing to something a little bit bigger than just um, Sarah's regretting her decision concerning Hagar and wanting the jealousy thing. This is a huge development in the story. Abraham has sent them away and notice with me that Abraham is again trusting the promise of God. Abraham wasn't sure what to do. It says there in verse 11, this was a difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. Man. I got two boys, y'all know this. I got one that's almost eight and one that, as of today, is 19 months old. You're going to ask me to choose between which one I let stay in the house and which one I send away? I can't do it. Let them get on my nerves later and maybe I can make a decision, but (laughs) I, I, I can't do it. The dad in me, the ability to look at each one of their faces and see a reflection of my own face at some phase of my own life, it prohibits me from being able to say, you know what? Y'all are getting on each other's nerves, so you got to move out. You're gone. You're not part of the family anymore. Abraham's wrestling with this. But notice how God tenderly directs him. Do not be concerned, don't fret, don't worry over it, do what you have to do. I am going to make this other son a, a nation because he is of your offspring. Abraham is now placing himself at the threshold of acting on the promise of God that Ishmael would be okay. That's huge. That, that, that's huge. That's huge. In the gut wrenching decisions that we have to make, we have to consult whether or not God has promised us something in it. Because if we step out because it's a whim for us or it makes us more comfortable without seeing the hand of God at work, we are liable. Uh, li- we are on the precipice of disaster. That's where Abraham is. He's on the precipice of disaster. Until so God says it's okay. It's okay. So Abraham sends them away trusting the promise of God. A few weeks ago, as we looked at Abraham, one of the things that we looked at was how Abraham believed God more than what his eyes could see, and God credited to him as righteousness, credited his faith as righteousness. Because the man or woman of God, our, we trust our future, not to what we can provide for ourselves, but for what God can provide. Th- that's where Abraham is. He's trusting what God would provide. He sends him away. And this is where God really enters into the story in a huge way. Now, now He's already there. It's pretty huge that the baby came. But look at this. Look what happens in verse 17. God heard the voice of the boy And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, what is wrong? Do not be afraid for God has heard the voice of the boy from the place where he is. God remembers his promise to Hagar. Do you remember when Hagar was sent out the first time? Because there was that that issue that developed between her and Sarah because of this baby. And And she goes out and she weeps and it says that God has heard her. So she names her child Ishmael. The Lord has heard. Once again, God reminds Hagar of his promise. Your your son's very name is evidence that I have heard. Sometimes in in, in the dark of the night and we cry out. And we know that God has heard us before, but we think, man, this time I've really messed up. This time I'm really beyond where God can hear. But he still hears. He still turns his ear towards us. He still looks at us in the the, the depths of our despair. Don't be afraid for God has heard the voice of the boy. This is one of the great things about knowing our God who is a God of promises He doesn't forget his promises, and he always acts upon his promises. We promise a lot of things that don't take place, right? It's not that we want to be deceptive, it's just sometimes we forget, right? We forget what we've promised we would do a lot of times. And maybe we don't use the word promise, we just say, yeah, I'll be there. And something slips up and we forget a brother or sister in Christ comes to us, yeah, I'll I'll pray about that. We tell because we really do want to pray about it, but then we, we forget. We, we, we have things that just don't fall follow the uh, oh. it breaks, right? That's not God. See, Hagar is now walking away from the life that she's known. She's been used. She, she, she's been consumed as, as a handmaid, as an Egyptian, as, as a foreigner in the house of Abraham. She's been used. And she's been consumed by, this, by these people because that's unfortunately what we as people do. We consume others, we use them for what they can do for us. And she walks away with her son and leaves him to die. But God hears her. God hears her because God is a God who fulfills his promises. It's not just that he gave Abraham and Sarah the child of promise. That is huge. And that is the point. But he also fulfills his other promises. He's not so busy with the big promise that he forgets the other ones. He's not so busy with the promise he made to you that he forgot the promise he made to you. He's not so busy fulfilling your hopes and your dreams and what he said to you up there on the shelf that you he done here on the floor, you don't make it. He is an infinitely sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, authoritative God that hears our cry. He remembers the promise. And then Abraham. Abraham's back in Beersheba. Now, this is on the outside of the, of, of the Philistine territory. You remember, we had that issue with Abimelech last week where um, Abraham repeated his issue and his promise of telling the king that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. And we, we walked through all that last week. If you missed it, it's online fbcfairbird.com slash media. You'll get there. But now he's back with Abimelech. And and you remember with Abraham and Lot, there was an issue over a well and who was gonna have the water and who was gonna feed the sheep and all this stuff. And it was like, this place isn't big enough for the two of us. So they they split ways. Well, wouldn't you know it? Abraham ends up in another well water issue, but this time it's with some of the Philistines. And he has to appeal to Abimelech to say, hey, what's going on here? We're sojourning in this land. It says there, Abraham says, I swear, but uh, Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the water well that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I don't know who did this thing. You didn't report anything to me, so I'm just now hearing about it. You can't do something about something unless you know about something to do something about that something, right? You got it? Good. And Abraham took sheep and cattle, gave them to Abimelech. The two of them made a covenant. But Abraham had set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech said to Abraham, why have you set apart these? And he replied, You are to accept the seven ewe lambs from my hand, so that this act will serve as my witness that I dug this well. Therefore, the place was called Beersheba, because it was there the two of them swore an oath. After they made a covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech and Facol, the commander of his army, left and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham dwells in peace in Beersheba. And you think, Well, what's that got to do with anything? This is the part of the promise, the land that was promised to him. This is the far edge, the, eastern, uh, the western edge of the land of promise. Abraham is living in the land that God promised him, raising the son that God promised him because God is a God who fills his promises. So what's the point? What do we do with all this? Because God's promises are always fulfilled, a new manner of life is required his people. Because the promises of God are always fulfilled, a new manner of life is required for his people. Abraham has just sent away a child. Abraham has just made a covenant with a foreign king. Abraham is dwelling in a land that signifies the promise, so his life is now oriented differently because of the promise that God has made to him. And this is huge because what we'd like to do is just adapt Jesus to our life rather than adapting our life to Jesus. We like to kind of cluster Christ in with everything else rather than completely transfer who we are to this manner of life in Christ. It's nowhere more evident than, uh, than, than in India. In India, you know, we, they're, they're, the, um, Indians are Hindus. Uh, and, and the majority of India uh, is populated by people of the Hindu religion. In fact, the ruling class in India wants to rename the country Hindustan, you know, you've got Pakistan and you've got um, a couple other stands over there. Um, I knew a guy named Stan, but he didn't live there. Um, They want to be Hindustan. That's the that's the what they want because they want to be known as a Hindu nation. And you hear a lot of great reports of the gospel going forward in, in India. But what a lot of missionaries working with people groups around India have found out is that they have to be extremely careful in how they present Jesus to India. What most people don't realize is that while Hindus have a lot of gods and all these things, there is one in particular that takes on over 330, different manif- 330 million different manifestations. He, he comes and, and he forms himself many, many different ways. You see him sometimes blue. You see him sometimes an elephant head. You see a lot of different things. He always has the hand of peace up and he also has the hand of offering out. I come to you in peace and I offer you things. And Christians come in and they're teaching in Hindu areas. They're teaching these about this Jesus that comes as the Prince of Peace to offer you new life. And many, many Hindus start thinking, well, that's just another one of what we already believe. So yeah, we'll take Jesus, and they'll profess Jesus, but what they're professing is that Jesus is just another one. But it's not just in India. The the way we approach the cross of Christ and the way we approach the promise of God, if it is not paired with a new manner of life, looks a whole lot like the inclusivism of the world around us. So church now becomes what's ever the most entertaining that day. If there's something there I can get my entertainment fixed, well, we're just going to do that and we're going we're to go there instead. If there's a, a, a ball game, a race, if there's this, if there's that, we, what, whatever else. You know, I don't really need the law of God because I've got enough that I've got to keep up with as my identity as a, as a Republican, as a Democrat, as an Independent. We try to fix everywhere else and just assimilate Christ into the mix. But because God is a God who fulfilled his promises and always fulfills his promises, it's not just another one in the mix. It demands a new manner of life all together. And Abraham demonstrates this for us. So let's connect it to our heart in a couple of different ways as we look at this. First, let's see this. God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. I'm not exactly sure what you're waiting for right now. I I don't know the ins and outs of, of what you're hoping 2019 will bring, what you're hoping February will bring in the next four days. For some of you, it will bring another birthday and you'll get to celebrate another year. For some of you, it will be the end of whatever has been plaguing you these last few weeks of February. Fortunately, today it brought us sunshine. I had to put sunglasses on on the way to church this morning and wearing glasses with sunglasses is quite the feat. The guy in the car next to me looked at me funny. I couldn't see. Some of you forgot the sky's blue. And here we are. But what happens in this this passage of scripture is that it says, the Lord came to Sarah just as he said. Notice this, this is all according to his word. His promise. The Lord came just as he said he would. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. Sarah became pregnant by Abraham, bore the son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. Exactly when God had told him. All of this waiting had taken place all of these years. And finally, he says, this time next year, the child will be born. And Israel went through a period of waiting. They cried out for 400 years in Egypt, God deliver us. And at the appointed time, at the right time, Moses was in the house of Pharaoh, walked away and came back as God's messenger. For 450 years, the people of Israel lived in silence, crying out for God to to rescue, crying out for God to do what God could only do and send his deliverer. And in a Bethlehem stable, a child was born. At the right time. So whatever you're waiting for, do not count God as being slow. Count God as knowing the perfect time to deliver his promise to you. Start there because if we deny the timing of God as being perfect, we will live a pattern of life that jumps from one fix to the next, to the next, to the next, claiming for ourselves several gods, several gods, several gods, trying to find the right one to appease, to get our way. When we don't need to get our way, we need to seek his way. His timing is perfect. Second, we find this that mockery challenges my resolve to persevere by faith. Mockery challenges my resolve to persevere by faith. At some point, if you were in Christ Jesus, if you've made a profession of faith, if you've gotten saved, if you've added Jesus to your heart, if you've said the sinner prayer, however we want to nuance it, if you've decided to follow Christ Jesus, you made a a couple of decisions simultaneously. The first decision was to walk in faith that Christ Jesus is all you need. And your second decision was that that would be your destiny in Christ. Those were the decisions. But that was on a Sunday and then Monday morning hit with all the same trial and all the same temptation and all of the same struggle. Because if somebody sold you on Jesus is going to fix all of your problems and make all your problems go away, you were ready to jettison Jesus when you realized the problems of the world still persist, right? Because the world is still evil. We still are coated in flesh. We still struggle, right? Some of you are done struggling, man. I can't wait for that day. We still struggle, right? And, and, and what happens is our perseverance. We're told to persevere. We're told to drive forward. We're try, told to run the race and we're told to strive for the promise and to keep eternity in mind and all this. But the world happens. And it challenges. See, see that mockery, it says there in verse verse. Nine, that Sarah saw the son mocking, the one Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham. Mocking, offering a different course, looking down upon the promise. This word's also used over in the book of Exodus in chapter, 30, in chapter 32. It says in verse five, and Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. He made an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to mock, to Revel. Maybe you're familiar with this scene. This is when Aaron has just constructed the golden calf while Abraham is on the mountain getting the law of God, getting the revelation of God. And Aaron buckles under the pressure of the people and he melts down all of their gold and their earrings and he makes this calf and says, This is the Lord, this is your God. He says in verse 4, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt. No, it's not. This is metal that you just made. This did not exist when we were coming out of Egypt. This is something man-made. And it says that there will be a festival to the Lord. To the Lord. And they had the fellowship and they offered and then they reveled. They mocked. They made a mockery out of the worship of God. This world offers so many mockeries to the worship of the Lord. We've got to keep our head on a swivel because idols creep in from every direction. They aren't just golden calves. They are our families, our children, our jobs, our relationships, our finances, our, our, our food, our, our, our fix. Wherever we go to find meaning and significance outside of who God is, we go and we bow and we worship there. Mocking the worship of the true God. This wasn't just a child laughing at his kid brother. This was at a direct assault on the promise that God had made. And this world offers direct assaults on our faith every single day. If you don't believe me, it could be that you're not walking by Faith. You're walking by sight in the trust of what the world has already given. And that sidestep is the challenge to persevering in faith. But when we identify this, when we identify the mockery, when we identify what is presenting the challenge, not adversity. There's a difference between the challenge of perseverance and the adversity. Adversity kind of wells up within us and it causes us to move forward with a greater resolve. Adversity might be a little resistance, but it's not a mocking challenge that pulls away. There's a huge difference between the two. When we see the adversity and we have the resolve to persevere by faith, what we find is that our life has become altogether different because of who he is. Because we understand that my destiny is in Christ and therefore my life is to be lived now in him. My life now is to be lived in him because that's my destiny. That's keeping the eye on where we're going. Notice what happens to Abraham. It says that this was a difficult thing to do. What was difficult? Sending away Ishmael and Hagar. And it had nothing to do with the other woman. This this wasn't a sexual thing. This This wasn't a, he had feelings for Hagar type thing. It says there, this was difficult for Abraham because of his son. And sometimes putting the old away in order to embrace the new that Christ has offered us is the hardest thing to do. Walking away from patterns of life and behavior that don't represent faith but represent sight are hard. But when we keep it in light and keep it in terms of where we are going and who has authored this life that we are now living, we start seeing it flip side and we can look as Abraham looked with the promise of God. God is not like, well this is hard for you and I don't care just do it because I said so. Notice he comes and God as a nurturing father, as a loving God comes and wraps his arm around Abraham and says, you have trusted me this far. You have the land. You have the son. Trust me when I say to you that Ishmael will be okay. It is okay to put away the former things. It's okay. The entire testimony of our life in Christ is that it is okay to step forward into the unknown of life with Christ because God is carrying. Paul addresses this exact thing in Galatians chapter 2. Excuse me. Galatians chapter 4. He says this in verse 28. Now, you brothers, like Isaac. Now, remember, he's talking to followers of Christ. He's talking to Christians. So if you've trusted Christ, this is you. You, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the child born according to the flesh persecuted the one born according to the spirit, Ishmael mocked Isaac So now also, it is happening. We are mocked because of our faith, the challenge that comes. But what does the scripture say? Throw out out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never inherit with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but we are children of the free. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a child of freedom. You are a child that has an eternal destiny with God himself. You are living right now in that freedom. Not the bondage of slavery to sin, not the bondage of this world, not in the mockery, but in the freedom. Because God is a God who always fulfills his promise. A new way of life is conceived is required for those who follow him. So let me ask you a question about your life. Does it resemble the life of slavery or the life of freedom? Does, does, it, does it resemble the life of righteousness or the life of mockery? Do you step forward in faith? Do you embrace the unknown of the joy that Christ has given you? Or is the old way of life, as Paul would call it, the old man, the man of flesh, is in control? This morning I want to give you an opportunity to respond I, I believe very firmly that whenever the word of God is open, whether you're reading it for yourself at home, reading a few verses of scripture and praying, or you're in a Sunday school class, or you're right here, that when the word of God is open and presented, that we respond. And, and that response might look different for, for all of us, but we respond one way or the other. Either, yes, I'm going to take that, I'm going to walk with that, or we say, ah, eh, you know, maybe that's for somebody else. Let me caution you on that response. That's it's in the word of God, it's for you. Where you are right now, it's for you. And maybe where you are right now is you are living a life of bondage. You're living a life of mockery because you've never given your life to Christ. You've never trusted him. Let me tell you right now that that is a, that is a, that is a bad place to be. <laughs> You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not even guaranteed to be at home today. And this life is where we make the decision to follow him. He has freely offered us his blood, his love, his forgiveness, his joy, his peace. All he asks of you is just believe him, just to trust him. So, so do you trust him? All your sins taken away. Everything you've been searching for in this world, you find at the foot of the cross in Christ Jesus. So this morning, I me ask you, come to Jesus. Maybe you have already trusted him. You're like, yes, I'm in that life of freedom. But it still looks more like the old life. It looks more like Jesus is just one of many instead of the only one. Let me ask you to come and and pray and give it all, get rid of everything else. God said, let there not be any other gods before me. That doesn't mean in line in front of him. That means in his presence. It should be like, it's just God and there's nothing else. It's just Christ and there's nothing else. It's just faith in him and nothing else. Free yourself of the old life in Christ Jesus.